Hello everyone and welcome to broadcast number 63 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie game development, and to give you some tips and tricks for your journey into games. Today is June 6th, 2015, and I'll be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting live from the southern United States. Hi guys, I'm Mike, I'm finally back, and I'm broadcasting from the east coast of the United States. Hello, I'm Will Blanton. Uh, I make games under the uh, weird moniker 01010111, and I am in Richmond, Virginia. Sweet. Yeah, actually, our our missing co-host is from uh, Manassas, Virginia. Um, so uh, We'll hook that. <laughs> For sure. I'll, I'll message him afterwards and be like, hey, you know that guy that you didn't get an interview? Yeah, he lives not too close. Or he lives not too far from you. He's coming to your house. We'll go to Ikea. Perfect. I'll give you his address. <laughs> oh, boy. What's scary is that you actually know it. <laughs> I, I have it written down somewhere. I Actually, it's just the other day. Um, well, by the other day, I mean a month ago. Uh, when I was moving, I was going through old stuff, and his address fell out of one of my piles of papers. And I was like, holy crap, can't believe I still have this on there. There were some funny little notes on there, too, that were inside jokes to us. Oh, boy. That I'm not going to say on the radio. But, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, as always, if you're listening into this live, you can go to our IRC channel, which is on the bottom of the Indie Radio page. Or if you have an IRC client, you can go to the afternet.org network, and our channel is Indie Function, I N D I E Function. Uh, and you can chat with us, uh, ask us questions, ask Will questions, ask the universe questions, do whatever you want. Um, it's open to anybody who wants to join in and chat. Whew. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm in there right now, and it looks like Will also joined, and Mike's yeah, there too. Oh, there. we got a full full room. It's a party. <laughs> uh, as always, we also have news at the beginning, so let's let's jump into that. All right, Mike. Why don't you take the first one? You're probably the most pumped about this. All right, so we're talking about the humble bundle, right, Brett? Just making oh, sure. Oh yeah. All right, so for the first time ever, as far as I'm concerned, we have a Humble Bundle focused around console. And believe it or not, it's not Sony, it's not Microsoft, it's Nintendo of all companies. And I don't think anybody saw this coming, but there's some awesome games in it, which I have to actually look at because there are so many that it took me like hours to download these. We got Guacamelee, Woe Dave, uh, Mighty Switch Force, Stealth Incorporated 2, Steam World Dig on both the Wii U and 3DS when you buy... The bundle huh. being both, so that's pretty insane. Uh, Ali Ali on both as well. Uh, the Fall, which I actually gave away a code for on my channel because I already bought that game and it's awesome. I highly recommend it. Uh, Moon Chronicles by uh, Renegade Kid. That's an awesome game. Sportsball, Gunman Clive, and of course Fit Trip presents Runner Two. So, Future Legend of Rhythm Alien. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lots of great stuff. And honestly, I gotta say, if they're gonna start with a console bundle, this was. A surprisingly awesome choice to start out with, and I've been having a ton of fun with this one, definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's still available as far as, yep, it's still available. So yeah, three more days. That. So they so, have until Tuesday. Absolutely. Go grab that, guys. It's an awesome deal, and it helps people, so that's even better. Yep. I don't even own any like uh, Nintendo consoles from the current generation, and I even bought the bundle. Because <laughs> in the case that I get a 3DS or a Wii U, I, I need some games. You'll have a great starting library, mm-hmm. definitely. 
Yeah, so the uh, the last six ones that uh, Mike brought up, uh, The Fall, Ali Ali, Moon Chronicles, Sportsball, Gunman Clive, and Bit.Trip, Runner 2, are pay more than the average, which is currently at $9.21, which is <clears throat> higher than it usually is for the Humble Bundle. It's usually around like 6 or 7 bucks, so that's kind of interesting. And then you can pay $10 or more to unlock the SeaMoral Dig and Stealth Inc. 2 games. Um, but Mighty Switch Force, uh, Woe Dave, and Guacamelee are pay what you want. You can get those for down to probably a dollar, I'm guessing. Um, they probably... Usually they cap it uh, at a dollar for actual keys, uh, Steam keys, so I'm guessing they're doing the same thing with this, but I'm not entirely sure. What do you mean by that? Um, so, with a normal Humble Bundle, um, you can buy the games for a penny, but they won't give you Steam keys. Until you put in a dollar. So you can download them from your Humble account. But if you actually want the Steam keys, you got to put in a buck. And that's just so people don't buy, like, 20 and then give them away after the bundle. Which, huh. you know, makes sense. I mean, you still could. You just actually have to put in 20 bucks. I didn't um, even know that. <laughs> yeah. It, it was something that I found out a couple years ago when I was a high school student with no income. And I wanted to buy a bundle for a dollar. Or a penny. Well, I'm... <laughs> sorry. You're getting this bundle for, like... I just calculated off the top of my head, like eight percent of the actual value of it. So it's totally worth going for it. Like, there, there's no reason to not go grab this bundle. I mean, even if you don't own Nintendo consoles, uh, they're good g- gifts for friends and things like that. It's mm-hmm. just a great thing overall and it helps people. There's some awesome games. I've been playing the hell out of Mighty Switch Force. It's really so, great. does each game have its own key? It does actually. Oh, so that I was is able fantastic. to uh, share my games that I already owned on my console with uh, my friends and my cousins and whatnot that had we use in 3DSs. So you're not going to have any uh, keys just sitting there that you'll have duplicates of. You can give those away. You can sell them if you really want to do that. I think that's so, against the rules, though. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> all right, fine. You can not sell them, but you can uh, <clears throat> give them away. And it's just, uh, money. it's just a great thing overall. It's, it's just awesome. And they've been does doing this, a great uh, job. Does this bundle come with soundtracks? I do not think it does. I, I don't think it does. Uh, too bad. Money Switch Force has an excellent soundtrack. It does. It's awesome. Yeah, but, no, um, it doesn't look like it. It um, doesn't. No. I saw the Mighty Switch Force OST somewhere. Um, I think there was a... Does Mighty Switch Force have a... a what? What's the word? Uh, like an 8-bit soundtrack? Uh, I, I never played the game. It's, it's a soundtrack by Jake Kaufman, who goes by Vert. Um, and it's it's not really eight bit, but there's a lot of like is a bit tune. Yeah, okay. Yeah. you know what? There was a bit tune indie game bundle going on. Uh, I think last week. Um, I only know it, uh, know of it because I'm I'm good friends with uh, Solai, uh, the guy that did the V music, uh, and he was he kept promoting it on his Twitter. Um, Let me see if I can find that. <laughs> yeah, if, if you go to his Twitter, you'll probably find it. Um, but while you're looking for that, I'm going to jump into the the next news topic, which. Yep. Will's going to be excited for. So, so Hacks, or is it is it Hacks or Haxy? Uh, I always say Hacks. Alright, somebody on the show a while back was like, it's actually Haxy, and I was like, or, <laughs> I, I shouldn't have even done it in that voice, because if they listen to this, now they're going to think that I think they're dumb. I don't. I don't even remember <laughs> who it was. deep voice. <laughs> um, so, uh, Haxy and OpenFL are coming to home video game consoles. Which is the coolest thing ever, because Haxi, uh, for those of you that don't know, is a programming language that exports to other programming languages, basically. 
So with it, you can write C++, you can write uh, Flash, you can write uh, mobile applications, and soon you're going to be able to write stuff for uh, consoles. And it's super easy to do this, too. You write your entire game in a hacks or hacksy, however you want to say it, and then you go into your command line and type one line that compiles it to the device that you want to support, which is incredible. I'm getting that all right, right? I've only used it once. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I need to shout out Hackslixel, like, right off the top. My favorite uh, game framework ever mm-hmm. uses Hacks or Hacksy. Yeah, Hackslixel's GIFs with Hacksy and make good games for Ludum Dare. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? It probably was a super big Ludum, Ludum Dare slash Ludum Dare uh, guy that was like, oh yeah, it's Haxi. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's Flixel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the people who are working on this are the creators of uh, a couple games, uh, Dungeon, or Dungeon, oops, Defender's Quest and Defender's Quest 2 over at Level Up Labs. And they have some funding partners uh, from the people that have worked on games like uh, Yummy Circus and Papers, Please. So they've got quite a few people uh, funding this, working on this, and a variety of games that they are um, bringing out there. Uh, interested parties include uh, Finji, which is uh, Adam Saltzman's company. He actually made Flixel, uh, which is what Hacks, Hacks Flixel is based off of. Uh, Tom Fulp of Newgrounds and The Behemoth. Uh, stencil, and then a bunch of games, uh, Incredipede, Rim Capsule, uh, Evoland, uh, Anodyne, and some other games that I don't recognize. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, super cool stuff. Um, th- the uh, news article, which I'm going to link in the IRC, uh, if, if you're listening to this in the archive version, there is a View Show Topics button where you can see all these articles if you want to uh, read them yourself, but basically uh, they have all their phases listed on here. Um, and phase one is they're going to try to get their own games working, and then phase two they're going to get your games working. They don't know how yet, that's to be determined. Um, but yeah, they talk about traditional porting, how expensive it is, and how this is going to save people a lot of money and effort too, because hacks compiles everything. You don't have to ever really rewrite code for different um, platforms. So. This is going to be super, super, super awesome. And uh, their planned targets are Wii U, which is what they're currently working with. They already have it working, uh, I believe. Uh, yeah, they, they do. And then they're also planning... <coughs> huh? Of course. <coughs> of course. <laughs> they're also working on uh, 3DS, uh, PS Vita, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 3. So they've got all the major ones there. And then iOS and Android already work with... Uh, Hacks out of the box, so those aren't home consoles, really. But just well, Android, maybe. <laughs> <It's getting there. laughs> I, I suppose, ooh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, it's really easy to do, ooh yeah. But mm-hmm. just to throw this out there, the uh, bundle you were referring to, from what I see, has uh, just to throw it in there: Adventure, which was Solai's soundtrack, mm-hmm. the the FTL soundtrack, uh, the Amnesia Machine for Pig soundtrack. Uh, game music 2, Metroid Metal, like a bunch of things like that. Uh, but it does not have the Mighty Switch 4 soundtrack. Mm. So just throwing that out there. Weird. I could have sworn I saw something about the, the soundtrack recently. Maybe it was just a tweet saying how good it was. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I hate when my memory isn't perfect. Uh, I might have picked it up on like a groupies bundle before. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Throw this. The way forward is actually on this article that uh, that you're referring to at the moment. Yeah. Um, Open NFL. Uh, in Mighty Switch Force is right there. So maybe that's where you thought you saw it. Oh, it's in this article? Mighty Switch Force? Yeah. Yeah, WayForward is oh, partnering. there it is. So that's that's yep. awesome. WayForward's a very, very good thing to work with. That is it. That's that's exactly where I saw it, because it was a square, because my mind associates, you know, square pictures True, with the old CD open-up things, like a CD. <sighs> Man, just really quick. Not completely indie news, but I mean, way forward. Uh, if if Shantae ends up being uh, DLC for Smash Bros, like they've been sort of hinting at recently, that'd be very big for the uh, slightly indie uh, company like that. That's a pretty big deal. I don't know. It'd be cool. Perfect, perfect way to get in there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that beforehand. Yeah, Mike's super, super hyped for all the new Smash Bros. stuff. Yeah, Lucas. Here we go. (laughs) The main. So, Desura is having some issues right now. Uh, Desura and Indie Royale are both owned by Bad Juju, which is kind of cool name, but also, like, foreshadows bad things yeah. happening, um, <laughs> which is exactly what's going on right now. Uh, they just filed for bankruptcy. So what that means for people is that there's probably not going to be an Indie Royale anymore, which, it, which in my opinion, is totally fine. There are way too many bundles out there. And, like, bundles used to be a treat. Like, people used to get really excited for new bundles. I remember every time there was a new Humble Bundle, I was like, oh, oh my god, there's a new Humble Bundle. I gotta go get it. And then I'd buy it, you know, like day one or save up over the two weeks because I was a teenager. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they're so common now, uh, but I'm getting off track. Um, So Indie Royale is probably going to disappear, but so is Desura, which is kind of a big blow. Because Desura is an alternative to Steam, and it's a lot easier to get into for Indies. Uh, whereas Steam, you have to go through Steam Greenlight. Uh, Desura, I think you just put your game up and they accept you in, but I'm not entirely sure on that. Don't quote me. Um, not that it really matters. They're going bankrupt and they're not going to exist for much longer. So that was kind of blunt. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's. It's it's really sad. Uh, I think they're like this um, is happening. it's not as open of a platform as a lot of other things like I I really hope that if Desura does close or whatever that there's like an indie migration to itch like I feel like itch is like the perfect platform for indie developers and huh Mm -hmm. oh wow this is awesome you've never heard of itch.io before? I have never heard of that what? hey I'm out of the loop (laughs) <laughs> it's literally the best thing that's ever happened to indie games. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. I see Super Win the Game in, in here. I actually have the box one that they did with the uh, video game box company thingy. <laughs> oh, wow, IndieBox? Awesome. Yeah, IndieBox is awesome. Yeah, you know, the two things. We had them on the show earlier this year. Of course, and I didn't see it. And I've been to their headquarters. They were located in Orlando, Florida, and I helped them box the uh, the Brutal Legend boxes. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't tried IndieBox, I highly, highly, highly recommend doing that. And it's not just because I'm a collector; it's because it's awesome. So you it totally really is. And the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be because they only make a limited amount of boxes, and they're getting more and more subscribers, which get the boxes first. So once they hit three thousand subscribers, they either need to increase their numbers or you're screwed. Uh, and you can't get the box. But yeah, they've done all sorts of cool games. I think they did SteamWorld Dig a while back. Um, yeah, they did. They told me about that, and they're like, you're not allowed to talk about it. I'm like, uh, I want to. <laughs> Risk um, of Rain, <laughs> I saw while I was there. Yep, uh, Luftrazers, uh, which oh, I actually right. have a copy of. And they had sold out while I was at PAX, so of <laughs> I wasn't able to get that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my reward for uh, boxing. They're like, oh yeah, we, you get a free oh, indie box. And I'm like, oh my god, yes. So yeah, if anybody's in Orlando and needs something to do, uh, hit up IndieBox on their Facebook or Twitter and say, hey, do you, do you guys need helpers? Hmm. Super Very awesome. Cool. It's a super friendly crowd, too. It's such a blast working there. They'll, they also usually buy food, too, so you're fed while you're there. And, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Seems like all you like about them is that they give you stuff. No, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, no. No, they're they're a super great crowd. Uh, jumping back to the the news, <laughs> we got really off topic there for our last story, <laughs> which, which is okay. Uh, but yeah, um, the I gotta figure out where the quote starts. Um, uh, so Tony Novak, the CEO of Bad Juju, said uh, the lawyers have said I can't say anything or answer any questions yet. But yes, it's true we're going bankrupt. I'm just oh, this is a different person now. Uh, Morrison uh, says, I'm shocked right now, stunned. I had no idea this was coming. So apparently it's a pretty big shock to everybody. Uh, but there are news articles out there um, if you want to read up more about it. Uh, we're not going to go too big into details, but it does kind of tie into our next article in a way, which uh, is Steam's new refund policy, which has sent shockwaves through the indie community. Will, how do you feel about the new refund policy? Do you do you have an opinion yet? Uh, I'm kind of terrified because the game that I'm developing right now is like a very short game. Like the single player experience is very short. It's like mostly for local multiplayer stuff. Um, mm. But I mean, I, I mean, I have confidence that it's a good game. But with it being really short, uh, it is kind of like a concern that like people will just be like okay, well, you know, I'm done with the game. Time to get a refund. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what's going on with Steam refunds is that if you purchase the game on Steam, you can get a refund if you've played it less than two hours. And while that seems like a personally or a perfectly reasonable thing, like, oh, yeah, you kind of get to try it out, like a demo, there are a lot of indie games out there that are short. Uh, there's a handful or two that you can beat within two hours, multiple times even. So with those games, um, people can abuse the system, buy it, beat the entire game, and return it and get their money back so they can go buy another game and do the same thing. Um, and it, it's really scary because what what can you do? So... Um, with this, uh, there there are some people speculating um, that maybe Steam will allow developers to choose if they want to opt in to it, which was one of the initial things that I thought of. Like, why wouldn't they do that? But, you know, they might not. 
which would be terrible. But it would basically allow developers to say, hey, they can refund my game, and then developers with really short games can be like, eh, I'm not going to allow them to refund it, which, whatever, I'll get a little, a few pissed off customers, but a little, you know, say on the Steam page, probably, this game cannot be refunded. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick. I mm-hmm. personally think this is actually a decent idea, but I think along with it, it's going to require a lot more upfront information, like have the dev sort of assume like, oh, with this game, you're getting about four hours of single player, you're getting and then local multiplayer. Like, mm-hmm. tell people what they need to know what they so they yeah. understand what they're getting. Because there are definitely issues, not with independent developers as much, but it's definitely happened, but especially with AAA, uh, like Evolve is the first example that comes to mind, where people expect so much and they get so little, mm-hmm. that's definitely a reason to ask for a refund. And they say, uh, you the Reasons you can get a refund are I purchased by accident, it's not what I expected, it was a payment issue, a gameplay issue, or it's not my library. So it's not what I expected is totally a fair reason, according to Steam, to get a refund. And really, it's just about expectations and managing them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. This this system is coming uh, into play because it is a legitimate... uh, Issue. Issue, yeah, that... That's, that's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's it's a good thing in concept, just like Greenlight was. But in the long run, and in all these little special cases, does it does it work? Yeah, like I am kind of concerned about it for my game, but like it's it's one of those things where I kind of just have to like trust my gut and say like, well. I think it's just smart in general to just say like let let's make a really good game and as, and assume that like the majority of the customers will recognize that and be like no this is cool like even if it takes thirty minutes to beat this single player experience like uh, I'm hoping they will at least just say like well you know number one it's a multiplayer game mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> even if I don't have any friends or another controller or whatever like. I hope that people will just be like, well, it's still a good game. I'll still keep it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, this is another Wii U example because that's basically all I play nowadays. But, uh, I mean, you look at games like Splatoon where you're getting four hours of single player and hundreds and hundreds of hours of multiplayer. If you buy the game thinking you're going to get an amazing like 20-hour, 40-hour single player experience, you're buying it for the wrong reason. And in that case, if you were ill-informed, then you have a reason to get a refund. But if you if you knew ahead of time that that was what you were getting, which you should know with some of these games, because that's what they're advertised as, then really it's just people bitching about not getting enough of something they weren't going to get enough of anyway. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It's, yeah. They expect too much, even though they shouldn't. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the world. Expectations. <laughs> <laughs> but we have yet to see, and I don't know if this has been confirmed yet, whether this is an automated type service or if it's uh, per uh, incident, I guess I should say. Like, whether it's separate based on incident mm-hmm. like, or whether it's just an, a moderately automatic thing. Like, okay, this is a legitimate excuse. Okay, yep. then I'll give them their money back. And then there's one other thing that people are kind of like, wait, what? Okay, so if, if um, you buy a game on Steam, right? It's 20 bucks. 
Steam gets six dollars of that, and the developer gets fourteen based off of the standard Steam uh, revenue split. Okay. Now the player gets a refund. All right. Those twenty dollars do not go back to their bank account. It goes into their Steam wallet, meaning that Steam has twenty of their dollars now, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. So, um, unless you spend all that money. Steam technically has the entire twenty dollars that you uh, spent on that game, uh, which is something in the the Gamma Sutra article that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and also, your refund request uh, is in a queue, so they actually check them all or whatever or something like that, and it it doesn't happen automatically, so you don't get that money back right away, which is probably good. Yeah, um, but the question I have about that is. Just because it goes into a queue doesn't mean they're going to actually spend the time to go through everybody's complaints. Oh, absolutely. And decide not. whether they're legitimate or not. It's probably <laughs> it's probably some sort of bot where somebody's just sitting there clicking away at them super slowly. So there's a there's, there's a time period. It looks like it, yeah. But no, so I I mean the article. It. I totally agree. Like. What is Steam? Like, what is Steam trying to do at this point? I mean, I'm sure we all understand they're trying to make money. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a money-making scheme in the end. But is it really... I mean, we've been having more and more issues with Valve lately with paid mods. Of course, that got taken down, but that doesn't mean that the it future did? won't hold the same thing. Oh. It did. The paid mods for Skyrim were taken off Steam. Oh, I thought you oh, just right. meant paid mods, period. I was like, what? Oh, that, no, that was no, a kind of no. cool system. Like, the, the I like paid, that. For, for Skyrim, like, the, the concept of selling modifications, like, that entire thing was taken away, like, uh, very quickly. Hmm. You know, I really like that, actually, because you do put in a lot of time to put in those modifications. No, I, I understand. The only, the only place I could see that being a problem is um, with, actually, Bethesda being, like, you're using some of our assets and you're making yeah. money. Once again, an opt-in system. Do you want, do you want developers yes, right. to... Absolutely. Pay, or to be able to put up paid mods on your game. But at this point, after all the hate that that got, what company would be ballsy enough to do that other than maybe like EA, which doesn't even use Steam, so... <laughs> For the most part. Yeah, when, when's Origin going bankrupt? Oops. <laughs> yeah, everybody keeps yelling that. It hasn't happened yet. Who knows? Who even uses Origin, really? Like, uh, well, I, I used Origin for a bundle once. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, the money. EA bundle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did, too, and then I got rid of it immediately. <laughs> oh, dude. But, uh, man, Valve has been getting more and more shit. And, like, when is, yeah. Where is Half-Life 3? Like, when are you going to start <laughs> making games again, guys? Oh, my God. When are you going to start making games? Like, everybody, everybody goes on and on and on. Like, Valve is a great company. They're doing everything for all these people, but... Independent developers are dealing with green light. Now they're going to be dealing with this and more and more. They're kind of screwing themselves. They're releasing themselves. their their TV thing and their console or their their controller. I mean, this the controller that not many people actually enjoyed after using. And yeah. I I've tried it and I can confirm that it is not without its issues. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pre-order one, but I'm definitely going to try, I'll try one it out. and then I'll see. Yeah, again. I'm very curious about it, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if that's worth the cash. Yeah, it's probably going to be one of those things that you kind of got to get used to. Um, yeah. yeah. The gamepad, Wii U, same thing. Like, the, the whole concept of putting a touchpad onto anything, like, it's going to take time to sort of get used to that. Anything other than a Super Nintendo controller, really, for most of these people, is going to take some time to get used to. 
So before we go into the interview, um, the two or the last two articles that we talked about kind of go hand in hand um, because they're both about um, how indies keep getting the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to uh, game portals, so to say. I I don't even know what to call Steam and Zera because uh, <laughs> game portals makes me think grounds like a little flash portal. Um, oh yeah. yeah. No, no offense to Flash creators. I'm a Flash creator. Um, so, like, what what does this mean? Uh, is is Steam going to alienate a bunch of indies? Are indies going to want to move to another platform? Is a new platform going to emerge? What, uh, what's going I think on? Here? The, the reality is that Steam is just so big that for an indie to make a living on games, it's like kind of necessary. Uh, like unless something giant happens, um, like like I said before, like itch is the mm-hmm. perfect platform. Like it's super easy for consumers and it's super easy for developers. Uh, it's kind of democratized so that you know the cream rises to the top. It's just like a very very well put together marketplace all around. But like the user base of it is so small mm-hmm. um, that it's tough to make a lot of money on itch and i'd love to see that change like personally like if i could just rant here for like an hour about how great itch is i'd like <laughs> i'd be happy but like yeah you, i mean you just you got to get on steam to get that cash and that's kind of the reality of it mm-hmm. and you know uh, man i hate saying it but imagine a really really great killer app type game comes out, gets released on Hitch, and let's say the PewDiePie's, Markiplier's, one of those guys, ends up playing it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be what would need to happen in order for Steam to sort of slowly get, not phased out, but uh, like have one alongside the other. Yep. Uh, it would, it, we would need that killer app type game, and I... I can see it happening, but I I don't know of anybody who would sacrifice sort of right. Funds. Yeah. So who? It's it's all about uh, it's all about games. I'll really, I'll, I'll say it. Itch. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I will I, be the hero that it yes. deserves. <laughs> if I ever make a game that has that kind of like instant marketability to it, then yeah, definitely I'll say itch. Can yeah, that's. That's that's a tough thing too. Um, with Itch's small user base, like you also have to think about how big Steam's user base is because they cater to all games. And like, yeah. if if somebody were to come up with an indie friendly portal, it would mostly just be indies. And the people that are just interested solely in indie games is small. It's just like the people who are making indie games. It's just that small community. So, yeah. yeah, I think uh, recently Steam like broke some kind of record for itself, and there were like nine million people using Steam at one point in time. Wow, which is just like that's like totally insane, and like and that's just who's playing online too. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the, I mean, it's just it's in a in an entirely different league than like itch. Like, I think that Itch would not only need, like, a killer app, I think it would need killer apps on a regular basis for, like, a sustained amount of time for it to, like, get a big enough user base. It's funny because I feel like 
if you think of games that have been released on Steam, uh, man, I, I they're all gonna. I'm not gonna remember any of them now, but there's been a lot of independent games released on Steam that have done really, really well and really rounded out Steam's library. Imagine if those had been released solely on itch, like yeah. over and over and over again. Papers, please. Uh, Risk of Rain. All of these games, like those are the first two that come to mind. If they had been released on itch and not Steam, people would have had to migrate. And I think honestly, those two can coexist as an indie portal and a more AAA based portal. I think that would totally work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have anything more to say. <laughs> well, I guess it's interview time then. <laughs> All right, perfect. So we've got Will Blanton on with us today. I don't know where the voice came from. Just go with it. <laughs> Yeah, so Will, you recently scored first place in the Ludendare 32, or Ludendare 32, depending on your your pronunciation. Yeah, so, there's yeah, like 50 different ways to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've changed over the years. Like, for a while, I was all about the fancy accent, <laughs> and then I'm just like, you know what, it's Ludendare, who cares? <laughs> so, yeah, you made uh, Bedhog... Uh, you want to explain it to us a bit? Um, sure. So, Bedhog... Well, so, okay, the Ludum Dari, for people that aren't familiar, is a 48-hour game jam. Uh, they come up with a theme based around submitted themes by users, and they announce it when the jam starts. You have 48 hours, and then you submit. Um, so, the last Ludum Dare theme was Unconventional Weapon. And I kind of have, like, a a tradition with my games of going with, like, the first bad idea I get. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, um, so initially, my, my, like, one of the first ideas I had was, like, uh, I'll I'll do Nidhogg with pillows. And so... (laughs) (laughs) That's just what I ran with, um... So yeah, it's Nidhogg with pillows. It's not really um, as complicated as Nidhogg. There aren't really a lot of different fighting styles because early in development, I kind of realized that a pillow is like the worst analog for a sword that you could like ever come up with. Uh, So like right (laughs) off the bat, I was like, wow, this really is a bad idea. Um, So the gameplay had to change. And so now it's just kind of a fast paced multiplayer fighting game with pillows um, I guess that's about it I mean it's local multiplayer there is like a single player AI to go against but it's just supposed to be fast and fun and cute which it absolutely is <laughs> yeah, that, there's something eloquent about that though like the whole and I gotta say uh, after playing it for a bit uh, the controls seem a lot tighter than I remember Nidhogg being so maybe it's just me but it definitely seems a lot uh, more fluid to control for me I guess like a lot it feels better to control is what I'm trying to say but it, I like the fact that it's simple because with these kind of multiplayer games you really want to be like hey uh, parent girlfriend acquaintance Right. <laughs> Please press this button and this button and move with this. Like rather than saying, "This is how you pick up your sword. This is how you throw it. This is how you guard against these certain attacks." Like, it's just, and it's funny because I feel like even the theme, like the whole concept of like a pillow fight, fits into that whole concept of being like more, a, a more. 
not simplified, a more eloquent, I guess, way well, of playing it. Yeah, everybody's had a pillow fight, or can, you know, grasp the whole concept that you literally just throw pillows. Uh, whereas, like, something like Nidhogg, there actually is a bit of strategy, you know? Not everybody's an expert sword fighter, so how are they going to be able to play a video game where they have to sword fight, you know? Yeah. So, is that kind of where you're going? Like, it's just easy? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, so, the whole pillow fight thing, it's like, I, I when you're developing a game, you know, you kind of, like, try and stick to this, like, main principle that you set out in the beginning, and, like, for this, it's pillow fighting. So, like, of course, the avatars have to be, like, cute kids. Uh, the action has to be, like, very not violent, but also very violent. Like, <laughs> when you're in a pillow fight, things get real. I mean, like, <laughs> you know that you're not going to lose teeth, but you definitely want to, like, wail on the other person. So, uh, you know, I tried to keep the action, like, fast and, like, one of the decisions I had to make kind of, like, on Sunday was, like, what kind of music is this going to have? And so, like, my first, like, instinct was, like, oh, I need super cute music because it's a super cute game. But then I thought about, like, you know, what's the, what's the like, crux of pillow fighting? It's, like, you are fighting. Like, that's, that's the thing about being a kid in pillow fighting is it, it is, like, this epic fight. And, like, it's fun, but it's also, like, really, like, competitive and, like, intense. And so I kind of went with, like, this ridiculous, like, chiptune progressive metal soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's also very good, by the way. I wanted to point that out. It has very good music, which is very cool. And uh, I think I saw Commodore 64 drum samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's it was it was like uh, a lot of it's kind of Nintendo based, but then for the drums, I wanted something kind of more chunky. So you got to go with the Commodore sixty four for that, which is awesome. Yeah. Am I knowing exactly what things are being used in music? Uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Is what I do. <laughs> and then I'm completely oblivious to it all. <laughs> Yeah, music, music, not quite my thing. I I can play music, but I can't. I can't make music. Look, like growing up wanting to make games and not being able to program, like I kind of focused a lot on like pixel art, and I focused a lot on music. So like during college, all I did was make music, even though I was in art school, which is probably one of the reasons I dropped out. But yeah, so it, it was a it, it's a fun it's a fun thing to do, and it's. Uh, it was it's one of the things that like always gets me a lot of like good attention it's like wow you can make games but you can also make music it's like yeah it's it's because i was so crappy at making games for the rest of my life (laughs) well i mean i'm sure i can look this up but did you do everything with this game like yeah all the art all of the music wow (laughs) yeah the the main compo uh, for Ludum Dare is solo only. It's the jam that allows for teams and for uh, pulling in um, assets from other stuff. Really? So I actually did not know that. I mean, I've always done the music and the art on my own, but it's nowhere near this level. But I actually did not know that that was forced. I didn't know that. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. It, Shows so, what I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you um, also program, Mike? 
I do, but very, very seldomly. I'm actually, I'm actually 18, so I'm going to college next year for programming. So that, oh, that's right. I am yeah. working on it. I didn't even Wait. know that, Mike. Really? This oh, is yeah, news to me. I can announce it here. I uh, in three to four months, I will be full time learning to program at. Uh, I'm going to Siena College, which is awesome. So it's going to be all. It's going to be really cool. I'm finally going to be able. I've been working my whole life towards learning the program, but you really just need to sit down and say, I'm going to figure this all out. And there's no better way to do that than be forced by grades and really high bills to yeah. sit down and, <laughs> and figure it out. So it's going to yep. be cool. And then drop out halfway and become an indie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have a very bad, I have two very bad experiences with higher education that oh. I won't really get into, but... <laughs> It, the second time really did like kick my ass into learning to program. But hey, it's it's all about the uh, the aftermath, I guess. Yeah. As long as it led to this winning <laughs> there, which is absolutely awesome. At the end of the day, it was worth. Mhm. Yeah, I I had a bad experience with higher education too. Which <laughs> is why I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> But, but so have a good time, Mike. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely do it, Mike. I don't know. I'm a little bit more, uh, a little bit more eat the, eat the, drink the Kool Aid kind of person. So I think it'll. I don't know. Yeah. You guys seem a little bit more creative. I don't know. <laughs> more creative. Well, my what? my advice to you and anyone else pursuing a higher education is to uh, make the most of it. Take advantage of literally everything they have and more. Like. Always bug your like professors. Always participate in everything. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean you're, you're, paying, you're, you're, paying, you're paying for, for it. it so. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. So I'm very interested now. What can we expect in the future from you? Definitely want to know. Yeah, else or wait, what? No, from from Will. What can we expect like in the near future? Programming, gaming, all this stuff wise. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So the. A couple of Ludum Dars ago, I did a game called Redshift Blue Shift, or One Ship, Two Ship, Redshift Blue Ship, which is like um, Pong with spaceships. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I totally get it too. I totally get it. <laughs> and so, um, that for that Ludum Dari, it did pretty well. It got, it got uh, number six, was which was the highest I'd been before. Uh, I was like super psyched about it, and um, I kind of developed it a little bit more and put it on itch and then um a buddy of mine started working on it with me um and we've actually like created like we have an llc and everything now by the Ooh, way look nice. out look out for hyper real in the future that's h-y-p-y-r-y-l another great name from me <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so we're actually working on it it'll be released on steam hopefully within the next month or two uh, we're kind of aiming for a July 4th release because of uh, the red, white, and blue. Uh, ah. the, the, the game kind of uses a four-color palette in a way. Very so. clever. <laughs> Very arbitrary. Uh, subtle. subtle. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so I'm super psyched that um, I'll, I'll be... Ha ha I'll have a game on Steam, which is like I don't know. It's it's one of those things. Like as a musician, I've always thought it would be great to walk into a store and see uh, 
a record of mine sitting on a shelf, you know, and that's kind of the same thing with this. Like, it's going to be super insane having a game that I've made in my Steam library. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> so. I, I actually, I recently, not to to promote myself or anything, but I recently got my album on iTunes, and while it's not quite like a physical copy, which I also have, but they're not in stores yet, <laughs> uh, while it's not quite the same, like, I mean, I bought my own album. I'm that bad. Just right. so that I could have it in my iTunes account, like yeah. on my iCloud. And it's just a feeling like it's so tangible. Even if it's downloaded, it's just you're looking at it and you're like, I made that and now it's here. So it's just a very cool feeling. I totally know what you mean. And, and another thing about it is that like the the people who you looked up to and the people who are kind of in the same race as you, they're also... Uh, on those platforms and in stores in the same sense that you are. Yeah. So there's like a sense yeah. of achievement that you're you're like Reach them. You've you've point. done what they've done. You're a lot you're now an equal to them, so to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I totally know what you mean. Definitely. Not not quite maybe an equal, but like kind of. Right, yes. Because usually your idols are really, yeah. really awesome. You're at the same party. Yeah. Yes. And now it's time to prove yourself even further and yeah. pass them. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, in the future, hopefully a lot of good games. Uh, we kind of have a similar design philosophy as far as games go. Uh, my, my partner and I, uh, by the way, my partner is uh, Alan Mikosh. Uh, he's gone by Wild Software in the past. He's another like Ludumdari guy that's been doing that for mm. a number of years. Um, but yeah, we just want to make really super fun games. Um, it's it's been really tough like coming up with like a mission statement because uh it's tough to not sound like a jerk when you're like we just want to make fun games <laughs> well that didn't sound too much like a jerk <laughs> right well we're gonna make the like probably the most fun games yeah. we want to be like the flam- we want to be the vlam beer killers we want to <laughs> <laughs> all right now we're getting there <laughs> uh, there you yeah. go kick Flambeer out of their seat. Yeah, we're the kings now. Yeah. <laughs> the Wasteland Kings. Oh my god. Did you, did you just... <sighs> yep, I did it. I just did it. You, need, did to, it you need to go take out a... You need to go take a timeout. Like, go go sit okay. on a throne. <laughs> the nuclear throne. Yeah. Alright. Alright. Alright, I'm trying to think of another pun that we can somehow tie in, but nothing's coming to mind. It, that's no pun. All right, no. <laughs> save, somebody save me quick. <sighs> All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and you, you said it was hyper real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All the vowels are wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was a conversation. I think I brought this up a couple shows back too. Um, that Vlambeer really works well because they have each other um like if if Rami worked with anybody else they could make their game really big like he could market it and make it really big but without JW the game wouldn't be that that exciting so to say and JW he's got these great like I like this whole great uh flow of how his games turn out but without yeah. Rami you know he'd never get them out there right. so do you do you feel that you and uh, I believe you said it was Alan, right? Yeah, yeah, Alan. Do you do you guys think that you have that 
that perfect connection where you guys need each other, so to say, kind of, and yeah, together and you're more powerful than you are apart. Definitely, like um, Alan is like a, a remarkable programmer. Like um, he, the, when he first came in, it was because I was having trouble with like gamepad support. Like um, mm-hmm. the the single bug that was like a major kind of bug in the game was that if you were playing and you disconnected your gamepad, it would just crash the game. Uh. Um, so I just didn't want to deal with that, and like I had no idea where to start. And so when he came on, it was like. Yeah, if you could take a look at that and see what you can think of, like that'd be great. And then, like within a day, he was like, "Oh, by the way, it's fixed." Like, and now I'm like working with like this like base code, like the hack, the OpenFL stuff to like implement a better gamepad like support. And it's, it was just like, "Oh wow, this guy can do stuff that would you know that I would have to bug the you know hack Slixel team for months to do." <laughs> um, yeah, so like we we're not like exactly we don't we, we don't have like the same uh, kind of relationship that JW and Rami have like mm-hmm. um, we're we're both kind of um, jack of all trades with strengths in different areas, um, but I think we do have a really similar kind of arrangement where he's just like a really great programmer and he also has a really good feel for what makes a good game mm-hmm. and then I've been kind of like specializing in like game feel which is kind of like JW's area like he's a master of like how punchy a game can get you know what I mean screen shake yeah <laughs> and, like yeah his his art of screen shake thing was like so great to watch because it like confirmed a lot of like beliefs that I have and like a lot of practices that I have and then gave me the rest of them in a nice toolbox to use um, so yeah that's kind of like our bible is to just make great games that feel good and uh, yeah currently I think Flampier is definitely the leader in that and uh, Brett remind me I may be wrong. Didn't we have the uh, dude doing the sound on Wasteland Kings and Nuclear Throne or something on here? Yeah, we had uh, and, Jonas Turner. Oh man, I forget uh, his the, name. The yeah, sound was, guy. That was a great one. He uh, he actually talked about how the the guns are mostly bass. Like the sound effect for the, the shooting of the gun is just like oh, bass, yeah. and then you turn it up all the way. And I mean, going into because that was when I was really really buckling down on working on some games with my buddy Ted um, at that point like all of those things I heard you just go and you try them out and they they work like it, they're and it's all flam beer like it, it rubs off on everybody they work with and everybody who plays their games these de- design philosophies and <laughs> I totally agree with you that's Make basically what I'm trying good. to say I agree with you. yeah there are like tons of stories. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that he mentions it in like um, the Art of Screen Shake video, which is like required watching for anybody making an action game. Pretty much. Um, like before, it was like the Juice It or Lose It talk, which is also required for any kind of like game development that you want to pop out. Um, but yeah, there's tons of stories of like uh, audio engineers working on games and like. It goes to you know the you know production heads or whatever, and they're like, "Nah, nothing feels good." And so they just go back and like add bass to the guns, and then like all of a sudden people are like, 
oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, mm-hmm. No, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, wasn't there one story where, like, there was a gun, and they're like, oh, this gun sucks. Like, it's so boring to use. And all they did oh, yeah, was yeah, amp yeah, up yeah. the bass, and they're like, this is the best gun ever. Like, oh my yeah. god, I don't know what you guys did, but it's it feels so much better. Yeah. <laughs> It really is all about how you feel when you play the game. And I, man, I've been talking about a lot of this stuff, but I'll bring it up one more time. <laughs> you know what I'm going to bring up? Splatoon has this absolutely amazing sound effect for shooting. It's just shooting. And, uh, and there's another sound effect where when you jump from a high ledge and land into your ink as the little squid thingy, it just goes and just plops. And <laughs> that one sound effect is enough where I've been playing online before and I've just seen people go back into our base and go up and up and up and then jump down just so that they can hear the sound effect. And I'm not even kidding. And it's funny, it's it's all about the feel when you play a game. It can change everything. And sound design means a lot more than people think it does. And Yeah. Sound design can, can like really reinforce a lot of things. Like in that in, in that game, I haven't played it, but like it seems like a, a lot of it is like that like kind of jumping in and out of puddles as the squid and mm-hmm. I imagine like it's pretty tough to like with any 3D platforming thing it's tough to kind of like show players like where they are and like mm-hmm. what's what they've just done and like adding that like a ubiquitous splat sound or something yeah, like and would when... really reinforce like the physicality of where the player is which is really cool Absolutely, and it, it it totally it just makes it more believable. A world yeah. that you shouldn't believe is now being comprehended. I guess one of my favorite uh, examples of sound design um, is Star Wars: The Lightsabers, oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. it's so iconic. Um, and I I had this little interactive leapfrog learner thing when I was like seven, <laughs> and you could. I, I had this like Hollywood thing, and it like you open it up and you get to read all these stories about um, uh, all these movies. Like there was a Harry Potter part, and there was Star Wars and Jurassic Park, and all 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 the really good movies. And you have this little interactive pen, and you can click on stuff inside the book, and it'll tell you like a story. And there were games and stuff, and uh, there was an entire page devoted to sound effects in different oh, wow. movies and like how they are created and uh I think they said the Star Wars was um I think it was a quarter in some sort of uh metal pan and like you you spin the quarter and it goes yeah just feedback that's what I've heard it's it's the electrical feedback from I'm pretty sure you're right like a quarter inside some type of metal thing and it it makes no sense as to why like that <laughs> works, but it does. And then on the other hand, it was also kind of important for them to do a sound that was kind of easily uh, mimicable by humans, because then you know you sell toys, and then all the kids can go. <laughs> vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> that is pretty brilliant. But yeah, so yeah, sound sound design has a lot that goes into it that people just don't know about. Yeah, in in the current game that we're developing, the Redshift Blue Shift, like uh, there's a shield power up, and the shield power up was kind of a problem because a lot of the times people are looking at the top of the screen where like a lot of the action is happening, and then they don't realize if they have a shield or if they don't have a shield, um, and so 
one of the things that we noticed was that that Alan noticed was that people um, had trouble figuring out when they've lost their shield. Like there was kind of like this animation, and I tried to make it so that the shield would like tween up and out of the screen so that it would like blow up kind of. But pe- it was like a kind of a subtle effect that I guess people in the midst of all this other action happening weren't noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for uh, the the shield disable thing we just like I, I just added this sound effect that kind of like pierces through the music and any other audio like a lot of the other audio has this like really low end uh, and then the music is kind of like filling out the middle ground of like where everything like all the frequencies and stuff and so like I, I wanted to use some high end and so it's this kind of like it's it's just this like really high pitched kind of like thing that kind of sounds like it's kind of hard to explain but like <laughs> it's just this like kind of like dish kind of sound but like really high pitched and like it, it like really nailed like the feeling of like losing this like energy shield thing and like all of a sudden like it's just like oh now it's like totally recognizable like you know exactly when you lose your shield and it's like sound design really helps out mm-hmm. it's uh, a way to do it without having to avert the player's attention away from what's actually exactly. going on. Yeah. And that's what's cool about, like, lightsabers, too. Like, you can close your eyes during a lightsaber fight and kind of know exactly what's happening. Like, yeah. you don't know who's swinging, but, like, you know a sword swinging, you know when swords are hitting, you know. And you know when they're there and when they're not there, which is also a yeah. huge thing. So totally, I, I totally agree. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think the reason why a lot of people don't really think about it is because it's not something that they visually see, and it it is kind of like a background thing that you don't necessarily notice unless you're really paying attention, or or in, like, thinking about it, so to say. Yeah. And like, oh, whoa. (laughs) They did a lot of sounds. (laughs) Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a game that's very sound-heavy. What's yeah. that new space game? It's like, uh, shoot, I can't remember. It, there's like some new like I don't think it's like super indie, but it's like not a big like. Super oh, Star game. Citizen. No, it's not no. Star Citizen. It's I think it's called Elite Dangerous. Elite Dangerous. Oh, I love that game. That game has <laughs> like the most insane sound design ever. Like, yeah, absolutely. I have like there's a lot of hours in it. <laughs> There's a lot of games that have, like... I mean, they're like, you know, this is a war game, so we're going to, like, load up the, like, the shooty library sounds, and then, like, oh, this is a space game, so we're just going to load up the generic space sounds library. But, like, Elite Dangerous has, like, excellent sound design that's, like, very unique. Yeah, and, you know, and that's a game that they're really pitching Oculus support for. And I feel like Uh, going forward... More games are gonna, and I think I said this actually when we were talking in the uh, interview with the Wasteland Kings sound developer. It's just, uh, it's so important for the future of games to be focused around not just like surround sound, but just better sound design in general because more people are getting better setups for sound and more people, yeah. like, we're, we're reaching the point where graphics are, they're, like, I, people are saying, they're, how much farther can they possibly go? Where I, 5k right. with Witcher 3 
So where's the next step? And I think we've got Oculus, we've got the graphics, now it's time to focus on the sound, which seems right. to be going pretty well. Well, and with, with everything, I think also you can kind of, like the, the, the indie secret, like the secret of indies being popular is that you can bypass all of those things by doing things that are uh, maybe not conventional, but mm -hmm. more creative and like, or like, they don't even really have to be more creative, but things that take advantage of certain things. Like for, for pixel art, like there's always been pixel art in games, like that's where they began, but yeah. uh, you can do things with pixel art that you can't do with other things. And same with audio, like chiptunes have always been around. But now that we have like all these other methods of creating chiptunes and presenting chiptunes, we can like take advantage of things that people haven't in the past. And it's like kind of revisiting these things to explore exactly what's possible instead of just exploring what's like conventional. Yeah, one of my favorite chips chiptune like noises is uh, Fez when you collect uh, a part of a cube. Yeah. It's like boom, yeah. boom, boom. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And it's funny because people uh, who aren't in the indie scene sometimes look at indie games and say, "Oh, well, that's banking on nostalgia. Like that's what that's all about." But within the scene, you sort of start to realize it's not as much about that. It's more about the fact that that art just looks nice. Like that's what right. they choose to do. And I've had plenty of situations. I actually on my last album was like, I'm going to use chiptune uh, sounds and I'm going to use samples from old Nintendo games because I want to, not for nostalgic reasons or anything, just because oh, they yeah. have a they really sound crunchy great. sound. Yeah. yeah. And it can add to any sound. Like you, you throw a, a chiptune synthesizer, really, like a synthesizer with chiptune, uh, a chiptune bank thrown in. And you're really going to add something to it that it wouldn't have otherwise. And we, it, it just, it's not even about the nostalgia. It's about the art of it all like yeah it's just where this certain element works yes and i mean like in pop music for the past like 12 years or so it's like everything is chipped here now like yeah no, it's totally. really weird like i don't really listen to a lot of pop music but whenever it's like on the radio or something like i'm like oh that's definitely commodore 64 like yeah, can't, no, I could not be anything but. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I would. Uh, I actually heard a story. Just throw this in real quick. Uh, Maroon Five with their song "Sugar." Everybody's heard that song. They had the drummer play the drums, and then they used, I think it was Pro Tools, to go in. And every time he hit the snare, they replaced it with a sample. And I'm pretty sure it might not be like a, a recognizable sample of a Commodore or something like that, but it's right. definitely a more chiptune styled uh, kit. And they they literally took the the acoustic kit and replaced it with samples like the exact play, and I thought that was crazy. Yeah, it's great. Twenty fifteen, we've done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we started over. from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> oh man, sound design guys, that's. It's all this we always, podcast is about. Every time I come here, we always talk about sound design. You know what? Yeah, you, you've got like a sixth sense. Because we had you on with Magnus when he was talking music. We had you on with uh, Jonas Turner and Yukio from Vlambeer. Now we've got you on with Will, chiptune extraordinaire. <laughs> it's just, I feel like sound design 
is something that all developers sort of get, but not all of them put their all into. And yeah, like most of the people we bring on here, I mean, Brett can test to this, are successful, like have a lot of success in what they're doing. And I feel like inherently, along with that, they have to understand sound design, and that's why it always comes down to talking about that. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't think I get it in terms of game design completely, but. I, I understand how sound works and I can use it and I just end up talking to these people because they totally understand exactly what makes like that design so great and they, they all use it it's crazy yeah and like going back to like Ludum Dare like the one thing that I tell people like if they're like how do I make my game place better and it's like the, the one thing you can do is good audio like you think about it and there's going to be you know there's thousands literally thousands of people working on ludum dare games and you can assume that all of them have some grasp on game design most of them have some grasp on visual design uh, but there's like only kind of like handful and that's not true there's a lot of people that make really great audio for but the percentage is small right i mean percentage wise if you if you have really good audio your game's just like immediately going to stand out to people because like people are judging people based on their gameplay uh and they kind of the audio kind of takes a back seat like if there's any audio at all they'll be like oh nice audio great um but if your game has really good audio, then all of a sudden, like, this is something new. Like, this is yeah. great. <laughs> people don't care about what it looks like anymore. People don't care if it's fun or not anymore. It's like, oh, my God, this, like, this tune is so awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you got enough bass on your hits, you're like, oh, it feels so good to smack that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that pillow hitting? Oh, yeah. I actually have, like, a lot of good... Uh, self-deprecating advice for people wanting to place well at Ludum Dare. <laughs> Have good audio, nothing else matters, and then, like, apparently, uh, if you want to do really well, do local multiplayer because nobody will have somebody to play with, and so they'll all just assume that it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if Brett's going to bring this up, but we actually had our attempt at a Ludum Dare, Ludum Dare, game yeah, and i did the, the music 31st for it. right yeah, I, yeah. I don't yeah last so, december yeah 31 yeah and uh i did the the sound for that and i was i gotta tell you i didn't think it was that amazing but people were it was great to read the comments and read like oh great music great soundtrack great like experience like, it's really fun <laughs> And everybody talking about the music. Fun. Nobody like, said the game was fun. Yes, they did. <laughs> don't don't be down on yourself. I'm no, no, I'm honest. A lot of people are like, it wasn't that fun, but it was a really good experience. The music and visuals were good. Okay. <laughs> it, it wasn't that fun. Don't put though. yourself down. It it uh, it really brings something together. I feel like like yeah, it, it's a really great way to. Like you're playing a game and you close your eyes and you're like, I'm still experiencing this even when my eyes are closed, and that's a big deal. Right. I mean, like I literally grew up like with a Game Boy in my hand, like up to my ear, listening. Like I would, (laughs) I would put Mega Man in. I would put the code in for Wily's Castle. I would press pause and I would just listen to that music like all day. (laughs) That's Uh, some great music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So audio. 
was great. What was the first Nintendo console to have a audio out jack? Uh, you mean like a three point five millimeter? Yeah. Um, the Game Boy. The Game yeah. Boy. The original oh, yeah. Game Boy. I have one right here. Yep, looking at it. Okay. It's funny because Game Boy, the I have the DMG, the DMG, the fat gray Game Boy had one. Game Boy Pocket had one, and the Game Boy Color had one, but the Game Boy Advance did not have one, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, because I remember the Game Boy Advance. No, it's the SP, the Game Boy Advance SP, I think, doesn't have one. Oh, you're right, you're right. That's that's what I had, so like I was thinking, and I was like, did any of the Game Boys have headphone jacks? <laughs> <laughs> that really stinks, too. I, I actually, I have a Game Boy Micro, which nobody really cared about, but it's awesome, and that has a really nice uh, 3.5mm jack on it. So, yeah. Yeah, so. I remember seeing that, like an advertisement for it, but like nobody was talking about it. I was like, are you guys not excited about this? <laughs> I think people already had like a Game Boy Advance and a Game Boy Advance SP. Yeah. Have, you, have either of you actually played one? No. A micro? No, I watched a kid on the bus play one and I was all excited. Has, I was like, that actually came out? <laughs> it has the best screen of any handheld I've ever played, including Vita. It, it is insane. Why? Because the games were all made for a slightly larger uh, resolution of screen, like uh, pixel per inch, or what, whatever it would have been per pixel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dot matrix screen. Uh, oh, and since it was smaller, the pixels were closer. And it was the exact... It was actually what the Game Boy Advance was supposed to have, like if they stretched it, I guess. And basically, where I'm getting with this is every game looks amazing and it's very well backlit it's a white backlight instead of having a blue backlight like some of the consoles did at the time it is awesome i can't recommend it enough they're a little expensive but man i would love to see um see an indie handheld i know people hate me for saying that (laughs) there's the pico 8 that somebody's working on i i I hope so i like hope against hope that like pico 8 finds some sort of like open source hardware to live on. Huh. Yeah. I haven't seen this. That's, that's like one a, thing It's a I'm... fantasy console. <laughs> really? It's a fantasy console. Uh. <laughs> you can run literally like anything on it and it's a handheld. Wow. That's like, awesome. <laughs> I, I think I saw somebody playing Cave Story on it the other day. Well, by somebody oh. I mean the creator. You know, the Don't guy. tell me that because then I'm going to buy it. It's <laughs> my <laughs> shit. Well, it's not gonna. I don't think it's gonna have games specifically for it, but you can put any game on it. It. it I just. I see all these consoles, and I see indie developers making like sixty percent, even fifty percent at times. We, iPhone works great. Like Android works great. We need an maybe Android-based console, like handheld for indies. I feel like that would sell a lot better than a home console. That's. It's just me, but I really do feel that way. Yeah, there is that convenience that um, that a handheld has, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that a lot of indie games are shorter, or yeah, meant to be played too. in short bursts. Yeah. So, I think you're onto something. That's that's what the Ouya is gonna do. They're gonna make a. They're gonna I make a think, handheld. I don't think the people who made the Ouya are gonna have much longer to have any creative ideas. They better hurry up. You know, I'm pretty. Did they say they were selling? the companies to somebody else? There's something going on about that. I actually uh, met two guys that work at Ouya on Steam the other day. Um, I was part of the beta of Duck Game. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I probably should have 
shouting you message. Uh. Oops. Um, but yeah, no, I there were other people beta testing, and two of them were the Uya guys, and we were chatting with them. Uh, we were chatting about possibly having them on the show, um, oh, which cool. would be kind of cool. But yeah, I asked them about it, and they're like, yeah, we don't really even know what's going on with that, but that's, that's kind of hush-hush for us, so we can't say anything. And I was like, ugh! Wanted to know something, but yeah. He's like, anything that's already out there is all that you're going to hear, and that's pretty much all that we know. I was like, oh, okay. Well, we'll see. A lot of great yeah. ideas for anybody listening who wants to steal my idea. I'd be okay with that, because it's something I'd like to see. <laughs> While we're getting ideas out there, there's been this one that I keep keep coming back to whenever we talk about sound design on here. Um and uh, there was a there was a dumb idea that I had a while back, uh, where you make a, a game, but you change all the sound effects. So, like, when you walk, um, maybe there's there's like a clicking noise when your foot hits the ground, and you hmm. if you throw like, or what what was it like a like a ball rolling down a hill would be like glass breaking. So it's just oh, sound oh. effects are all messed up, and it would. It would have to be, like, an Oculus experience or something to really immerse well, yourself in and just really confuse your brain. Because you'd see all these things happening, but the wrong sound effects would be tied not to Not to burst your bubble, but have you ever seen LSD Dream Simulator? <laughs> Did they already do it? Well, I, they I've didn't seen do it. it per se, but that whole concept of just making completely random stuff happen. I'd love to see them, uh, the guy who made that and. The guy who made that, assuming it's just one after you, I've seen the game. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see him come back and make some type of Oculus game because I feel like that'd work really well. Oh man, LSD Dream Simulator on Oculus. I've heard of like, like several indie attempts at like remaking LSD. It, I don't know how far any of them have gotten. It was the right time and the right console to do it on, though. The, the original PlayStation was nuts. There were, it was so easy to get your games out on it at the time that uh, I can't believe that actually got released. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was from Japan, so, hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Trust me, I know better than anybody else. Nintendo fanboy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Japan churns out some weird content, and that's why we love it. Yes. Hmm. All right, we've got 15 more minutes. Anybody that's listening in and doesn't know, there's an IRC client at the bottom of the Indie Radio page. If you want to jump in there and ask Will questions, go ahead. Uh, it's been pretty quiet from what I understand. I haven't checked it in a little while. Uh, yeah, all that's happened is uh, Mike's page has ping timed out. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, that's, that's the only update. So, uh, yeah, you can either go in there or you can tweet us uh, at IndieFunction or... Will, if you want to tweet him, it's x o one o one o one one one. Because you know that's that's easy to <laughs> yeah. listen There's to and type. To it, you have to get uh, into it. Yeah. It's eighty seven in in binary with an x preceding it. Okay, easy. Okay. Yeah. So wh- why did you even decide to use that as a username? Uh, it was. Actually, like a long time ago, um, <laughs> I signed up for OkCupid, right? And, 
I was like, I need a I need a username that will like immediately let ladies know that like what they're getting into. Like I was all about I was all about really, really straightforward marketing for my uh OK Cupid profile. Zero dates by the way. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, since then it just kind of I've used it for everything. Um and like yeah, everybody everybody's told me that it's like literally the worst thing that I could have possibly went with. And I'm like a huge like contrarian, so I was like, no, it's the greatest. <laughs> oh man. It's not marketable. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the origination of that. Well, that must be the most interesting and entertaining one we've heard so far, Brett. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody go find his OKCupid profile. I think, uh, it, I think it's non-existent. Uh, I was going to put like in the show topics years. at the bottom. Uh, I was just going to have your name linked to your OKCupid profile instead of your website. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone yeah, date Will. The next time I'm, I'm working on like a dating sim, I'll, I'll reactivate the dreaded OKCupid account. <laughs> and just oh, put man. a link up to the game there. You want it to really yeah. date... <laughs> Oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) And then you could, like, change the location of it um, to, like, spread it to more people. (laughs) That would be such a good news article, though. Like, Kotaku and Polygon would be all over that. They'd be like, oh my god, this guy is promoting his game through OkCupid. (laughs) Fat nerd gets zero dates on OkCupid. Okay uh, market's game despite instead. indie effort. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, that would probably get a lot of attention for the game, too. It would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, is, like, how can, especially since we interviewed uh, Felix Kramer, uh, Felix is all about saying, hey, my job is to make sure that, you know, I market your game, but what really markets it is the story behind it, you know, the the story of the game and that, that right. sells the game. So I've been thinking about that lately because I'm working on a game that I hope to bring uh, commercially to Steam or to consoles or mobile or something. I, I don't know. It, it could work on any, really. Um, and it's just like, what what do I want that story to be? And that's something to think about. Yeah, to 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 bring some trash talking into this podcast. Trash talk. It's not really, it's not really trash talk, but like Vlam Beer has nailed their like public image. Like it occurred to me once because like I, every every talk they do, I try and find like the YouTube video if I can't like attend the talk, you know. Uh huh. And uh, every single one that Rami does, like it, it'll be an hour long talk. And no matter what the, uh, no matter what the topic is, thirty minutes of that hour is going to be the entire history of Lambier. Yeah, it starts. It's like, hi, I'm Rami, one half of Dutch independent game studio of Lambier, uh, and then it just goes through the entire story of Lambier. And I'm like, man, they know. Like, there's Lambier. There's like Vambier, Lambier lore. <laughs> <laughs> oh lore it's like so heavy mm-hmm. and everybody knows that they're the guys that make the really fun games that have lots of juice that yeah. also get cloned yeah 
<laughs> the cloning stories. Yeah. Man, that was a long time ago we talked about that. I barely remember that. Yeah. At at college we had to make we had to make a game and it was like you need to come up with a game idea and present it to us tomorrow. We're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean tomorrow? Easy peasy. Or maybe maybe it was within a couple hours. I don't remember. It was just like really ridiculous. They're like, here's a list of everything you need to figure out for your game. You need to come up with the idea how many characters there are, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how are you supposed to come up with this in a night? This is a three-month project that we're going to be working on. I want to have some time to think about it. So um, I showed uh, my teammates Nuclear Throne, and I was like, you know what? we got to make Nuclear Clone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. If if it would have turned out kind of well, I would have like released it as a joke, but it was a nightmare. That project was awful. I'm actually kind of um this is very insider information. I'm prototyping a game right now um that is like a dating simulator. <laughs> but uh it's mostly a top-down shooter in the style of Nuclear Throne. So, what? Wait, so like, hold hold up. What what are we talking about? I'm so lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Nuclear Throne, but then you go on dates. This is your game? Yeah. Well, this is a game that I'm prototyping. It'll probably never <laughs> see the light of day. But wow. it's also it also has Game Boy resolution and a four color palette. And... <laughs> okay, really? Yeah. This needs to happen. <laughs> Start a Kickstarter. I'm throwing my money at you. I mean, hey, look at how popular Honey Pop has been. Jesus. I mean, if that can yeah. do it. Yeah, it's like, the, the truth is, more trash talk here. Uh, dating sims have been in a stagnant state, like, for decades. Like, I play, I, 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 like, I checked out Honey Pop because I was like, wow, where, what are dating sims in 2015 like now? <laughs> And then I was like, man, this is like the Flash games I was playing. Like The same baseball. thing, yeah. Like, it's literally the same thing. Like, do you remember my birthday? Like, <laughs> <laughs> is this a date? Yeah, I totally so, yeah. know what you mean. I'm, I'm changing, I'm going to change the game, uh, bring hyper-violent top-down shooters into the dating sim genre. Do you do you get a fight with your date? Is that what happens? You go on oh, dates? Oh, no, no, that would be awful. No, I don't mean fight with your date, like, against them, but with them. No, but, like, so, for instance, like, you, like, what if you touch down on a planet, right, and you shoot everything up, and, like, one of the enemies drops, like, an ultra-rare, like, CD by this, like, like, old, like, black metal band, and, like, one of the, uh, one of the people on your ship, you want to date them, and so... Oh, they really like black metal. Well, I'll just put this CD into the ship CD player, and now they like they would get some points towards like some relationship or something. <laughs> That's genius. That's essentially like the way I want it to go. I was thinking more like she brings it home to her parents, and you impress them by bringing the heads of their like mortal enemies or something. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> when when you do get to date them, though, you got to go on like. Uh, a mission where you shoot up people with them, though. What's more romantic than that? And also friendly fire, so you can accidentally kill them and feel. 
<laughs> Shit. Player gets attacked. Killed my girlfriend. Oh my god. Oh man, genius, genius. <laughs> Dating sims, man. There, it's. It, I, I mean, like, I seriously think that, like, if someone were to really nail a dating sim that was like, sim more close to real life, then people would flock to it. Or they would realize the truth about all that stuff and then they get repulsed by the entire idea of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reality but, is never quite as simple as, do you remember my birthday? Yeah, exactly. What size am I? <laughs> uh, how many pixels wide are you again? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, well, if you calculate the height versus... Oh... Uh, but yeah, you look at like the comedy games that like Robert Yang has been doing, and it's like just like spanking dudes and stuff. And, <laughs> like, there's like a like especially like in the now that all the indie kids are grown up and more you know I guess like a lot of people are more progressive. Like sex positivity is like a huge like a uh, movement that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like people aren't really people aren't really doing anything with games aside from like a few people like uh, like Anna Anthropy does a lot of stuff and Robert Yang's doing a lot of interesting stuff so there's a lot of indie people that are doing it but like it's in these like experimental ways and I think it's fine to like say like well okay I'm gonna make a shooter that has it's like very sex positive and it's not just about like building relationships based on like yeah bra size and stuff like that Nina Freeman's also working on that cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna totally butcher the name. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna pronounce it because <laughs> I remember I pronounced it incorrectly and she corrected me and I was like, oh, and she's like, oh, it's okay, nobody can say it. Now I'm like, you're right, nobody can say it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that game looks pretty interesting though. Like, I'm excited to see how that turns out. I don't know if it'll be a good experience, but it'll. It's one of those games that aren't really like there for fun, but to give you kind of like to wear somebody else's shoes and experience something. Right. I think I think that's a huge thing with games in general. Like I feel like as a kid, I was all about the experience of a game. Like fun is great, and like I aim for fun in most of my games, but like. The idea of having an experience that's not like uh, natural to yourself, like that's one of the best things about games. And like, there's a lot of people that are very like pro game and anti experience. That like, I just want to be like, but like, what is an RPG? Like, <laughs> is yeah. it this kind of the point? <laughs> yeah, and some of that is kind of like along the whole line of being hipster. Like oh yeah. no, no, you can't you can't be mainstream, man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I have I I was kind of against the whole like experience thing, but then I remembered all the games that I enjoyed as a kid, like uh, growing up uh, around the age of like ten to twelve before I got into any games. Yeah, like uh, always loved Kingdom Hearts and oh man, Kingdom Hearts too. Uh Harry, somebody please. <laughs> that was my life when I was a little, like very, very like two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, it was one of the first games I got with my PS2, which is my first, like, my yeah. own console. That well, I got a Dreamcast, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, an old soggy, so, like, I, I literally, like, was a tiny kid playing Zelda 2, and, like, that game really isn't that fun. But, like, <laughs> it was, like, it was, like, it terrified me, and I hated it, but, like, all I wanted to do was play it. Something about the way you're just like Zelda Two, yeah, it's just not fun. I, yeah, like, I, I get what you mean. <laughs> it's like super spooky. Oh man, I, I tried playing that game and I just couldn't. I I think I got I stuck like right at the beginning it. and I couldn't figure out what to do and I was it's like too much cryptic bullshit. I actually oh, yeah. just recently sat down and beat the first Zelda for the first time. Oh man, I've tried. I've tried. You need a map, really. And you really need to draw a map, which takes a lot of dedication. Yeah. Or just have a really good mental memory. And I mean, not, <laughs> I'm not going to tangent again, I promise, but I, I get what you mean. But to me, the experience doesn't need to be like its own separate thing. Like, for example, uh, Yoshi's Island is the one I always go back to. Like, that game, very, very like well-designed. The way the art style works, the music works, like, it all fits together. It's an experience as a video game like it's a game and you remember it as a game but it was still an experience because it's like playing a coloring book i guess oh yeah like, it's a it's it's an experience without being like this is the story of when my girlfriend committed suicide and it was like a huge thing and like like it was it, <laughs> Yoshi's <laughs> Island. i'm so sorry <laughs> it's the pipe dream nah, but you, you know what i mean like it, not everything has to be like an experience separate from the game like right. the game can be the experience and I think that's a huge huge thing yeah, I think that's you, you can use like good art and music and gameplay to like reinforce experiences for sure yeah definitely yeah I'm trying to find which talk it was it was either just with somebody that I was talking with or um, one of the previous broadcasts so I guess I'll just say it here um uh, Yoshi's Island, there is a fantastic, fantastic uh, article on Yoshi's Island that I will put in the show topics uh, when I upload this, and it is a design article about why Yoshi's Island should be uh, taught and in yeah. video game curriculum for like game design schools, because it, that game is so brilliant. It really and, is. And you don't even really realize all the things that that it does like you probably like know a few things it's just like oh that's such good game design but this article just picks everything apart and you, you're sitting there afterwards like whoa this How game is good it is very good it is it, yeah i have uh i have a box copy of it and i actually had to buy like a protector for it like a, a Pla- like a thick plastic case just so that I can make sure it's in nice shape. <laughs> the SNES version, not even the GBA version. See, I went all the way back for that one. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never played it. You've never it's... played Yoshi's Island? As, as yeah, a so, like, recently I just bought, like, a Super Nintendo to play Earthbound, and, oh, Earthbound. like, when I saw, when I saw uh, Yoshi's Island, I was like, well, I gotta get this, too, like, this is one of those things that, like, I just missed out in my youth and, like, got to check it out now. And it's one of those games where, like, people are, like, you can't play it in an emulator. There's certain things that, like, emulators don't do with that no, game because it takes advantage of a lot Mode of it. Seven. Like, Mode 7 yeah. stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I bought, I actually had, because 
I, I love Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance is like mm-hmm. the system that I want to try to emulate in my games. Um, I feel like it's the perfect melding of like modern and retro games. Yep. Um, but the Yoshi's Island GBA game is like so inferior to the Super mm-hmm. Nintendo game Every- that I like haven't played it on GBA either. To like me, I bought every- it. Uh, I was, everything except the voice clips they gave Yoshi are inferior about that version. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, man, I gotta say, between Earthbound and Yoshi's Island, I would say you have a career as an indie game designer just from those two games. Earthbound's like quirkiness and the, the sound design in Earthbound too. I mean, yeah, they used I think it was one third of the cartridge on music and maybe like. A little bit extra on just sound effects, like just music and sound effects. Yeah, and that blows my mind. Oh, man, <laughs> those two games. It's like modern indie games where you see like a retro game on Steam that's all pixelated, and like you buy it and you're downloading it, and it's like this like pixel art game, and it's like one and a half gigs, and you're like, all right, how big is the soundtrack? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the first thought. They did every they did every single instrument as a separate wave file so that they could uh, pull a Banjo-Kazooie and do uh, the rolling in and the rolling out. And you know, just really quick, just because we're talking about sound design, I actually had, I made a video on my channel, QuickTime Events, which is the one I actually update, and uh, I talked about Grand Kirkhope and the difference between orchestrated soundtracks and uh, MIDI and uh, just sort of chiptune soundtracks and that uh, if, a, if a writer can do it with chiptune they can do it with an orchestra and if, you, uh, if you're interested in this conversation at all and you want to check that out it's QuickTime Events on YouTube and uh, Grant himself actually graced it with his presence and retweeted it so it's pretty awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I just linked you guys the uh, the article. It's been taken down, so to say. Uh, the person who wrote it didn't renew their domain, so I grabbed a link to the web archived version of it. Um, if, if you guys have never heard of the web archive or the Wayback Machine, it's web.archive.org. Uh, you can check out any web page, pretty much, as long as it's in their system, and you can go back to previous states. So if like, you have a link that doesn't work anymore... You can go to it and visit it as long as it's been archived. And you can also even look at some websites and ch- see how their design changed from year to year, which is kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. Super great uh, resource, and there's a link. <laughs> but yeah, that Yoshi's Island, uh, I remember exactly where I was when I was reading it because it was so good. My brain just, like, soaked in everything. This is- I love this line, though. Yoshi's Island should be taught and studied at game design schools the same way Blade Runner, Citizen Kane, and The Graduate are studied at film school. Boom! That hits the nail right on the head. And Earthbound as well, definitely. Like, it's another one where everything just fits into place. And, oh man, I I gotta throw this out there as a gameplay design thing. Mother 3 on the Uh Game Boy Advance never came out in in the U.S., uh, Every time you play an RPG, you're tapping the button along. Like I, you, you hear the music; it's really catchy. You, you hit like fight, and then you, yeah. you move, and you hit it along to the beat. I guess I don't know. I maybe I was the only one who did that. But <laughs> it, Earth uh, Mother Three actually allows you to get combos that way, like by hitting the button to like select your move and select what you want to do that turn in time with the music. You get uh, bonuses and 
combos. Oh, that's so cool. Genius. That is so smart because it's something you do without thinking that they they reward you for. And that's awesome. That's game design. <laughs> that is game design. Boom. All right. Um, only, only 14 tangents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're keeping count? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly. Um, it's been about an hour and a half. Uh, I think we've gotten through pretty much all there is to talk about. Uh, so before we go, is there anything else you want to blurt out there, Will? Um, yeah, everybody go support itch.io. Uh, if you're a game developer, definitely check out uh, Hackslixel. It's like, I mean... It's pretty much why I do well at Ludumdare. Um, and thanks thanks for having me on here. Oh, absolutely. It's been a blast. Thank you for coming on, yeah. Um, let's let's do some plugs. So uh, your website and Twitter are both X01010111. Uh, right. So anybody that's listening to this in the archive version, just click on his name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and on hopefully the page. my website will be updated in the next ten years. <laughs> nice, ten years. That, that's that's a good. good Let's idea. be realistic. <laughs> yeah, as a web developer, I usually keep mine updated fairly often, but I do fall into that. Like, oh, I gotta update it. No. <laughs> um, and then what else? Uh, oh, yeah, your Ludum Dare game, uh, Bad Hog. Go check that out. Yep. What else Sun do we need itch. to link? I think I think that's all. It's all your links. Uh, yeah, Tumblr and Bandcamp are both just zero one zero one zero one one one. You can get to those from a site, probably, right? Yeah. All right, perfect. Thanks so much for coming on. If you want to stick around for a couple minutes after the show, that would be fantastic. Sure. All right. Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 63 of Indie Radio. This broadcast is broadcasted live on 1000 mics and was recorded using Adasi. Our next show will be on June 20th, 2015. Thank you again for listening in and have a fantastic weekend.